0: blue collar people are some of the grittiest, toughest, bravest human beings on the planet. Every building, bridge, and road was built on the backs of their hard work. Every piece of raw material was mined by their calloused hands. They manufacture our goods and transport them around the world. We see that strong outer shell, but there's more to every person than meets the eye. In this podcast, blue-collar business leaders tell their stories of courage and victory over crushing defeats. That's only possible because of a mental and emotional fortitude and a willingness to ask for help. It's our mission to bring hope to those of us who are strong on the outside, but may be living a life of quiet desperation on the inside. We'll do that by working together to tell the truth about the challenges we face and what it really takes to break through them. Right, how you doing, everybody? This is Mick Carbo, your host of the Tragedy to Triumph podcast. I'm here with a special guest today named Phil Holland. How you doing, Phil?
1: I'm um, all good. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I, I've been I've been excited about having you on the show, Phil, for for a while now. You and I have been going back and forth about this for a couple of months, and I'm I'm pumped to have you here. Phil's got a uh, a crazy and um, ridiculous story to tell here and uh i'm you know i'm just honored that uh you'd be willing to get on and and share on this podcast to this audience and i just want you to know i appreciate you for that man
1: yeah and i appreciate like i said you having me um i'm always appreciative for somebody you know giving me that small platform to to tell the story and to reach you know whoever i reach and whoever's listening so yeah uh, appreciate the and definitely reciprocated Oh,
0: awesome, man. So why don't, why don't you just get started by taking a moment and sharing a little bit about yourself by way of introduction. What would you like us to know about you?
1: Sure. Um, well, I could, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but yeah. you know, for short, sure, I mean, uh, right now, I'm, I'm 27 years old uh, since November. Uh, I was born, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was born in Africa. wasn't born in the US, but I got here when I was three. So, like, I'm, I'm truly, you know, literally African-American in the most literal sense. Um, I, I draw. I, I watch a lot of TV. I'm a huge NBA fan. I uh, love anime. I mean, there's a lot of things that I like. So, you know, that's why I said I could really go into a lot of things. But um, right now I'm into uh, I have a daughter, by the way. She's three. She turned three a month ago. Um, and uh, nice. right now I just started working. I just got a job. And I got a job because uh, not just to meet new people and, you know, have something to do, but also uh, I'm into stocks and Bitcoin now. So I'm studying that uh, because that's a whole, you know, it's a whole world, really, and it's a lot to learn and study. So uh, the job is kind of to just supplement that. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of balancing the job, my daughter, and I also started school, like, I think two days before I started work. So uh, when the pandemic started, I was in the house, you know, not doing anything, but kind of more so just going to day by day with my daughter and then January hit and then all this stuff just started at once and not in a bad way but I'm just like you know balancing everything and you know? um that's kind of where I'm at now and also obviously doing the podcast every now and then sharing the story so yeah yeah, yeah.
0: you got a lot going on over there man
1: yeah yeah I'm, and I'm learning to I'm glad I do because this is what I asked for because I was so bored being in the house every day um that you know I was finally able to get things going and uh have something to do so good we got that
0: good it sounds like you're you're on a trajectory of creating a pretty great life for yourself man
1: i hope that, oh, that's what's got me in a good mood i finally have a plan so hopefully it all works out
0: good good all right so let's let's take a turn here and <laughs> and have you get started sharing your story <laughs> you know like i said at the beginning of this uh podcast phil's got a you know a pretty crazy and ridiculous story to share with us here today and um, uh, you know the name of the game here on the on the show. This is about uh, people's adversities or obstacles that they they've had to overcome over the years, and uh, would love to hear what you have to share about yours.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, so my story, you know, has to do with police brutality. Um, I, I guess I'll start off by saying, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody's listening knows where I'm going with this, as far as you know, not just Black people, but mostly disproportionately um, African-Americans being uh, shot and most of the time killed by police. And so that's what my story entails. Um, We've been seeing a lot in the news and mine isn't really that different from them, even though they happen in different ways. Uh, It recently is, you know, as far as the big case, George Floyd, uh, Jacob Blake and all that. So uh, my incident happened back in April, 2014 uh, I'm in Atlanta now, but before I was in Atlanta, before I moved here in 2017, January, I lived in Philly for exactly 20 years. And, um, you know, Philly is not the most dangerous place, but it's not the safest either. It kind of has a reputation, which is, you know, not accurate, but like, I mean, it's dangerous everywhere. There's people everywhere. So, you know, things sure. happen everywhere, but, uh, Philadelphia in particular, uh, you know, there's certain areas that you don't want to find yourself in. And, uh, so this is April, 2014. At the time I was, working two jobs, I had, I was taking two classes, I think one or two, and I was, I had a, one of those jobs was a pizza delivery job. And so that morning, that day, <clears throat> sorry, sorry if I cough every now and then. I think I have a cold, it's been freezing here. But um, that day I started the, uh, started my first job was at the airport. I was there from five to 12. And one of the classes I was taking was a public speaking class. So I took that from one to four. And then the pizza job was five to 11. So, you know, that day was very normal in particular. Uh, and, uh, it was around 10 30, I was at the pizza job and I, there was one order that came out. It was the last order of the day. And so it wasn't how the pizza job works or any pizza job works. If you have several delivery drivers, they'll we'll just rotate and take orders out. And so it wasn't actually my turn to take that order out. Cause I was, you know, cleaning, getting ready to pack up for the day. Wow. And the person who turned it was actually told me, hey, Phil, do you want this? And I was like, sure, I'll take it, whatever. Um, so, you know, ironic to it a fate it wasn't even mine, but I went out and delivered the it was a cheeseburger to an older woman, uh, gave her the cheeseburger at her porch, you know, and I'd park normally. I never double park, even to this day, unless I really have to, obviously, but I never ever double park at night, only because I don't like to draw attention to myself. I don't want to say I was paranoid before this happened, but I was always, you know, especially living in Philly, I always want to make sure you know, you, I don't want to say head on a swivel, but just this is life in general. Like things happen. So you always want to be careful. So I never double parked. I was parked normally, lights off and everything. And so <clears throat> I gave the lady her cheeseburger. And so this is when the story kind of starts when I'm walking off her porch. I had nothing to do with the lady herself. I'm walking off the lady's porch and uh, I'm at the top of it. And I, I turn to my left because I can hear, you know, a car. You know, you've seen Fast and Furious and stuff like that. You know, the car is kind of drifting, going in circles, with all the smoke and all that. Yep. So it was kind of like that. I saw that, a car, normal sedan, uh, just twirling at the top of the block in circles or donuts. And so I noticed it. It didn't alarm me too much or scare me, but it was just like, you know, these are probably junk people or racing. I don't know what's going on, so let me just get out of here. Because that's actually the way I have to go. So hopefully I don't have to. But if I have to, I'll just back out of the street the other way and whatever. So I got in my car. And on my way to the car, to my car, the car was actually still in the street. That was what kind of alarmed me. But I had no idea that I was going to actually be a part of it. So I got into my car and, uh, you know, when you get in your car, the lights turn on until you turn the car on or until you turn it off. So I got in my car and the lights being on that way in the dead of night. And it wasn't that dark, but, you know, when the lights come on, you can't really see outside the car like that as well. So I turned the lights off, you know, because that kind of made me like a little nervous in a way. So I turned the lights off in the driver's seat. And this is when <clears throat> to the right, you know, cause I'm on the right side of the street. So to my right in the sidewalk, I see, you know, a dark figure, all black approach me. And everything I'm about to tell you, is going to sound like it happened within, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute, but this is all within like, literally, I'm going to say like seven, eight seconds, maybe less, maybe more, but no more than 10 seconds. it all happened really fast as these things do. So yeah. I see a person to my right, you know, approaching me and, uh, before I even have time to think about what's about to happen, what's going on, I see a flashlight or he shined a flashlight in my face. And so I block it with my right hand. And then as I block it with my right hand, I see another figure in the street to my left. And again, all black, I can't really see what they are wearing, but it's just, I can see all black and it's kind of baggy clothes looking. But I didn't have time to think about that. Like I said, I just see a figure in the left in the street and this person I can see, I can make out, you know, a gun coming out of his waist. And so uh, when I see that, I kind of, you know, went into fight or flight where I was just like, all right, I can't fight people with guns because I'm and I have about like four hundred dollars in my pocket, which they don't know this, but you know, people get robbed for less. So they don't I, I have no idea what what's about to happen. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so man. when it's a fight or flight, um, I don't know how I didn't hit the car in front of behind me. I always say this, but cause it's fascinating. But I put the car in reverse very quickly before I, faster than I even knew how. And then I put it into drive to, you know, get out of there, get out of the situation. And as soon as I move forward, you know, that's when I see you know a bunch of uh, uh, the muzzle flash going off from the guns, you know them firing oh, on either side.
0: So wait, can and I so, can I ask you just a quick question about that? So, sure. So it's it sounds like <clears> as you're telling the story, you didn't you didn't realize they were police.
1: Absolutely not, because I mean okay. I I don't I don't have a record. I've never had been part of a criminal or anything. Like I don't I'm not in the streets. Wasn't then. Wasn't not now. So, you know, so these it, were, were, were they officers. wearing
0: plain clothes or were they like or were they wearing uniforms that was just they were just too dark to see or what?
1: Yeah, usually I get to I get to this part in the end, but I'll tell you now um, oh. they I didn't know this at the time, but I knew that these weren't I knew these these weren't cops based on how they were dressed. Couldn't see what they were wearing, but it turns out they were plain clothes officers Okay, and they actually had hoodies and shorts on themselves. And uh, part of why it happened was because I had a hoodie on. So that's why I usually tell that part about, you know at that part but yeah they, they were plain clothes if they had you know uniforms or police hats or badges I would have had no reason to run because all I had in my car was a mail and a pizza bag so you know yeah. I wouldn't have tried to get out of there I would have just put my hands up you know and this is like I was usually say <clears throat> when this happened I didn't really me and my mother and friends and family we didn't really see it as a case of police brutality because it hadn't really been in the news like that it's far from the first person ever to go through it but as far as you know, Eric Garner and Mike Brown and the and the six years worth of names I could list you right now, right? Mine kind of happened before all those, so we didn't really see it the way we would see it if it was just a year or two or a couple years later or even now. So, right. um, so uh, forgot where I was at. So um, but yeah, I, I, if they were cops, I would have just you know stopped because I had no reason to run. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that I would think you get shot if you ran from cops back then. I didn't think that, but I wouldn't have ran because why would I? Because I don't want to get into police chase, you know. So, um, so yeah, so I had no idea who these people were. I try to get out of there and feel free to interrupt to ask questions at any time, by the way, because okay. the story is kind of long. But I start seeing the, the flashes go off. And then, you know, as I'm driving forward, I start ducking because I don't want to get hit in the head, obviously. And right when I start ducking, I feel one bullet pierce my thigh and I feel like it go clean through. And pain kind of, as you know, as people listening know, pain kind of, most of the time takes a while, a couple of seconds to set in, really. Yeah, sure. So I felt the bullet. I didn't feel pain, but I felt the bullet pass through my leg and I felt it hit my other leg, but it didn't pierce through the left leg because it just traveled through my right leg completely. And so uh, I felt that kind of winced. And then right after that, I passed out. So I never felt the pain from the bullet. It was more so the pain. The pain came for the next two weeks because, you know, I had to I'll explain why. But yeah, um, I passed out. Didn't know why I passed out until afterwards. I'll tell you in a minute also. But what woke me up was me crashing into a fence a couple of seconds, you know, a couple of yards down the street. Cause you know, obviously I just passed out with the car moving. And so uh, there's glass breaking all around me, you know, and uh, I wake up and my face is very wet and I can't see anything and I don't know why, but I just hear glass breaking all around me. <clears throat> and um, next thing I know about five seconds later, as I'm trying to wrap my head around what's happening or what just happened, you know, if somebody pulls open my door And he says, police, freeze, police. And me, I don't have time to think about anything, but I'm very aware that I just got shot because I know that just happened. I just saw it or felt it, whatever. So, you know, this is me kind of going to shock, even though I'm very aware. I just kept repeating, like, no, I just got shot. Please, I just got shot. Somebody just shot me. No idea that it was him that just did it, but he said police, and I'm like, police wouldn't shoot me. Not that I'm thinking about it that actively, but I'm just like, police help. Or, you know, somebody just shot me. And I said it like five times. You're thinking he's,
0: he's there to help
1: right because he's pulling up the door you know i I, you know i just got shot that's all i know i just got shot i just kept saying that and his response before he pulled me out the car was i I was saying i just got shot (laughs) he said back to me he was like no shit sherlock and i didn't really have time to think about why he would say that i just kept saying that and so he pulled me out the car and it wasn't eight minutes like George floyd but he had his knee on my back while he handcuffed me while i'm bleeding out my leg and face um but uh and he put me not on the Floor or not on the seat of his car, but on the ground of the car. And you know that little ridge in the middle of the floor of the car. I I remember feeling my rib was kind of like just, you know, on it. So I was uncomfortable, but I didn't have time to be uncomfortable because I passed out in the car like about, I don't know how long, but not, I wasn't conscious for long in that car. So they are the ones that took me to the hospital, the people that shot me. Um, And so I woke up in the ER. I remember what woke me up was, you know, in the ER, when they're about to operate on you, on your lower extremities, they don't have time to unbutton you and like pull your pants down nicely and all that. They just got to get to it. So they're yeah. cutting open my, my, uh, my pants. And so I remember feeling like it was yesterday. I remember feeling like gust of wind just hit my area down there. That's what woke me up. And so I kind of tried to jolt up, but I couldn't cause I was so weak. And so the doctor to my right, and I'm seeing like a bunch of people moving around back and forth talking. And I see the, you know, lights you know, on the ceiling and I know I'm in the hospital. And so the doctor next to me, uh, I can hear him. He says, you know, he sees me try to get up and, and and talk. And he says, hey, are you okay? Obviously I'm not, but you know, he says, are you okay? And I'm like, here I go again. I'm just like, I just got shot. Somebody help me, I just got shot. And he says, you're gonna be okay. And so he asked me, uh, you know, the the year and the president, you know, standard questions to see where I'm at mentally. Right. And so I was finally able to calm down and answer the question. I said, Barack Obama 2014, et cetera, et cetera. He said, what's your name? I said, Phil Howland. And um, so that's when, you know, he filled me in. He said, okay, well, you've been shot in the leg. Um, and I did, I don't remember like how he told me, but I remember him just telling me, you've just been shot. We're gonna work on you, you're gonna be okay. And uh, I, I was doing, I guess, okay mentally until he asked me, he said, you know, do you have anybody we can call for you to come get you, not get you, but like come see you. Right. And so I thought about my mom, now quick side story. A year before this happened, my mom left to go to New Jersey and she wanted me to go with her, me being her son and all that. But, you know, I felt that it was time for me to, because I was 19, going on 20, I felt that it was, you know, time for me to, you know, just kind of figure out on my own, just get some roommates and, you know, she was gonna leave the house that we were renting out. So she left me the house and uh, ended up getting some roommates. My girlfriend moved in a couple months after that. And so, you know, just, I was living by myself at the time. mom's in New Jersey. And so when the doctor asked me, you know, do you have anybody we can call? I thought about my mom. And that was when I kind of started panicking. Like, cause I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, my mom. Cause me, I love my mom, like, she's my best friend almost. Yeah. So I started thinking like, oh my gosh, mom, like, I'm, I'm, I started thinking like creating these scenarios for myself. Like I'm about to die. What if I'm about to die and I don't see her again? So it's hard thinking about my sisters and all this stuff going on. So wow. I kind of started crying and I wasn't screaming, but I was just like kind of panicking and crying. And you know, when you're losing blood, you can't really sit there and like do too much cause then you lose blood faster. I mean, yeah, yeah. Faster. And it's yeah. dangerous. But obviously me, I don't have time to think about that. I'm just thinking about my mom. And I'm just like, oh my God, my mom, you gotta call my mom. He asked me for a number and I had it in my head. I still have it memorized to this day, but for some reason I was too busy panicking to give just give him the number. So uh, I passed out, cause you know, like I said, crying, you know, all this stuff while they're operating, while they're bleeding. I passed out before I could give him the number. And uh, another side story, how my mom ended up finding out, all the way in New Jersey, about an hour and a half away. Uh, my girlfriend worked, worked at the casino and I don't know if uh, one of her friends saw me on the news or. I don't know how, but one of her friends, you know, told me, hey, your boyfriend just got shot. That's Phil. Like he, they didn't know me personally, but they knew who I was based off of her. Yeah. So they went and told her while she was on the, on the what do you call it, the table dealing. I don't know if it was a manager or one of her friends, but they said, your boyfriend is in the news. He just got shot. And so she called my mom. So my mom's sleep is about midnight by now because the incident happened around 10, 50, 11 o'clock. So it was midnight. Okay. My girlfriend calls my mom at the time and she says, you know, uh, Miss Odette. Phil, Phil's in the hospital, he was just shot. And my mom tells me the story every now and then. She's like, she she was she heard it, but she, you know how when you wake up, you're sometimes you just so she was just like, What? And she just like hung up the phone and went back to sleep. So the second time my girlfriend called her. This time she's crying and screaming, Mr. Dad, Phil just got shot. You gotta come down. And that's how my mom just kind of woke up. And uh, so the the most heartbreaking part of this entire story for me to tell is um that the fact that my mom and she was she, she woke up my stepdad, her husband and you know, they, my mom called the hospital and you know, all they were able to tell her was that i have been shot in the leg and I've been shot in the face. Mm. Nothing else besides that. You know, obviously they said, we're going to do our best. We're going to work on him. But they can't promise anything because obviously if you say, hey, he's going to be perfectly fine. And then I'm not, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, they weren't able to confirm anything. Just tell her what happened. And so for me, you know, just, I don't know if you have children, but uh, yeah, even three. for three,
0: I can, I can yeah. imagine.
1: So even before I had a daughter, I was thinking how crazy it must be for, for somebody to drive <clears throat> from New Jersey to Philly an hour and a half not knowing whether their son is alive or dead. And if he is alive, he got shot in the face. So what is, what is that going to look like? Like, what is that? Is he going to be talking right? Is he going to be thinking right? Or is yeah. he going to have a hole in his face? I'm just like thinking about what she, and she told me all the time, like she was just staring at the street. Like she wasn't driving, she so was just staring outside thinking like, she doesn't even know how to it herself when she tells me, she's just like, I had no idea what to think or what to expect or whatever. And, um, so wow, man, that's that guy, that kind of kills me. So I can only imagine, I don't even want to imagine anyone, but anyway, um, <clears throat> so she got to the hospital, police chief was there at the time or was there when she got there. And there was a bunch of news people around, but like I told you earlier, we didn't really see it that way yet. We just thought it was two cops that just, I don't know, maybe you want to call it a mistake, whatever. But, uh, she kind of didn't want to talk to the news reporters, or whatever. She just wanted to move past it. Police chief was there. He told her that, and he filled her in on why it happened. He said that they were there were shots in the area from around where I was at, a couple blocks away from where I was at, and um, basically the suspect, from what they were given, was obviously a black man. Um, I say obviously because I'm black. Uh, he was wearing a hoodie, and he was six five. The last part is the crazy part because I'm five five, like a whole. I'm nowhere oh, near damn. not even six feet. So that's why that's the first indication that I got that I'm not that I thought it was racial profiling yet, but it was just like, how are you looking for a six-five person? I'm short. Yeah. I'm I'm short, like average woman size. So you know, that take that take with that what you will. But um, so my mom, she got that. And like I said, she didn't care. She just wanted to get to me and see me. So mm. uh I have a picture on my Instagram, but she walked into basically my face was wrapped up, just couldn't see anything but my chin and my forehead and some of my forehead and so me uh like I said I woke up in the ER for a short time cried passed out and so I woke up about a day and a couple hours later uh, and I woke up I couldn't see right away I could sorry I couldn't see right away because my face was wrapped up and even after they took it off and I had that picture on my Instagram too even when they took it off my face was so swollen from the impact of the bullet that my eyes really couldn't open, except but so little, and I really couldn't see anything like that. Oh, but when I woke up, I could kind of see a little bit and I, but I could hear my mom so I could make her out because I could hear her. She saw me wake up. Obviously, she's like, Are you okay, Phil? Are you okay? And I can't talk because I tried to, but I realized I had a tube down my throat, so I can't even talk. Okay. So I start to motion, you know, for like a for a pen and pad. And so we get the nurse to give us a dry erase board and I had a marker. And so for the first day and a half of me being awake, I was just writing kind of blind on, a, on, a, on, the, on the board. So the first question I think I asked was, like, you know, what happened? And that's when, she, that's when I found out not only was I shot in the leg, I got shot in the face, too. So when I hear that, I'm just like.
0: So you didn't, you didn't even realize that at the time <coughs> that you were, and, like, you couldn't see and all that.
1: Because that's why, like I told you earlier, like, when I got shot in the leg, I passed out right after that. Yeah, It was right. a bullet impact to my face that knocked me out. Yeah. And so that's why when I woke up from the glass break and I couldn't even see because I was bleeding on my face and it was, you know, I don't know how that goes. But basically when, the, when I got hit, the bullet entered my, see my left, between my left eye and my nose, kind of like, you know, the, I don't know what you call this, it, the bridge of my nose right next yeah. to my eye. It hit the front of my skull, bounced around and then lodged itself in my right cheek. And I didn't even know bullets could work like that, but thank God they do, because I would assume that if you get shot like that, either going to be blinded or it's going to go through your skull and you know obviously that's it yeah but it bounced around my face and was in my cheek my cheek was swollen whole upper and right area of my face was swollen so um she told me that and then i remember i started crying because i said why was i just shot like that why why would i why would they do that because me i'm you know i'm in school and i started thinking about okay when i asked that i started thinking about how i'm about to miss a bunch of school my job, they didn't fire me, obviously, because they heard about it too. But I'm thinking, I'm missing work. I'm missing out on money. I'm, I start thinking about all these things besides the fact that I just got shot. But I'm thinking about that too. But I just start crying because I'm just like, why did this happen? Cause I'm not, I didn't do anything. Yeah. You do. You know, my mom starts crying. My sister the right in the back. Things. Yeah. My sister are in the back crying. So it's just, you know. But uh, eventually, you know, like I said, I was riding on the chalkboard for a while or on the race board. And um, eventually I got the two taken out. Uh, Face went down after a while. It was one day where I looked in the mirror after I was able to. They that day they helped me out because I couldn't walk right away. But they, uh, I saw my face and you know, I could see. And I know you can't see it every time I tell somebody about this, they tell me it's not noticeable. So six years later, I know now that it's not that bad as I see it to be to this day. But when I looked in the mirror, I saw my right eye was kind of like sunken a little bit. And I did get surgery on, so it did get better, but my right eye was kind of sunken. And to me, it was like the worst. It wasn't the worst thing ever, literally. I didn't think that, but it was just, you know, cause I liked my face before. And so when I saw that, at first I thought that it was gonna get back to normal. I thought it was just a swelling type of effect or whatever. Uh, it took me a couple months to realize this was gonna be what it was permanently. Yeah. But uh, I was distressed about that. And uh, the reason I couldn't walk right away, quick story was because when the bullet entered uh, my right thigh, it severed, you know, the femoral artery, which for those not listening is for, or for those who don't know who are listening, that's the most major vein the biggest major vein in the leg, okay. so when they get when that gets severed, you know you have like, you know x amount of time before you bleed out. Not long, yeah. And so I'm not sure why I didn't bleed out in the car on the way to the hospital, but think I didn't. I didn't. But um, when I got to the hospital, by the time I got to the hospital, the femur already had already been severed and blood was coming out. And the the two holes that the bullet made on both sides of my thigh, the blood was coming out, but it wasn't enough because it were small holes. It was a small bullet, so blood was coming out but it couldn't it wasn't coming out fast enough from the femoral artery so my leg was basically just swelling up with blood and so they told me later on after the fact you know we almost had to amputate your leg okay. cuz the blood was just making it to the point where it was like kind of this big i remember showing them showing me a picture and it was like not even it looked like an elephant leg almost but what they ended up doing was a triple bypass surgery which is when they a triple comes from you know they they put in three incisions in my leg, one on each side of my ankle and one on my thigh, to so let all the blood come out safer. Uh-huh. If that hadn't worked out the way it did, I would have had to get my leg in But thank God, it did work out. And um, so for the first, uh, I think it was like five days, they told me that I might not be able to walk ever again. That's just like, you know, safe bet. But They told me if I do, it's not going to be the same. I'm going to have a limp. Um, before the doctors knew it, I, and my mom, nobody was in the room at the time. It was like middle of the night. And so I just tried. I was awake and I just tried to walk because I felt okay. Probably wasn't the smartest idea because I really could have got hurt. Yeah, but I felt like I was okay. So I kind of inched out of bed and I was holding on to stuff. I wasn't just walking right away, but kind of just put some pressure on it and started walking and I was just kind of practicing practicing on my own. And so the next day I told my mom, hey, I can, you know, I can walk a little bit better. And my lawyer, my mom was like, are you serious? So I showed them and they said, you know, it wasn't like we were trying to be sneaky. But my mom and my, my lawyer was of the opinion that if the doctors see that I'm walking after getting shot in the femoral five days afterwards, they're not going to think that it's not. They know what happened, but it's just the optics of it is going to look like it's not that serious or like I wasn't hurt that bad. That was just what they thought. So they said, you know, we're going to have to not show that to the doctors right away. Like, just stay in bed and just listen to what they say. So when the doctors came, it was like the next week or two days after that, they tried to get me out of bed. They had the whole. You know, the crutches and all that. And I kind of a little bit had to pretend like I, I had to put on a little limp and pretend like I was on it for the first time, per my lawyer's advice. Um I, just, I don't want to say I was lying, but I kind of had to cover it up that I was walking better than they thought. But um anyway, I was in the hospital for seven days and I was in a rehab facility down the street for seven days at Penn Hospital, Penn University. Shout out to them because they really did a lot of work, fixing my face that day and then two years later when I got surgery on it um, and then fixing my leg, which. Either, either one could have been way worse, but you know, right. they really did their job. And then the nurses too, like I was a real, excuse my language, I was a real asshole in the hospital. Not on purpose, but just emotionally and just being irritated at what happened and maybe missing stuff and missing basketball. Cause like I said, I'm a big yeah. basketball fan. I had a TV in the, in, the, in the room, but I wasn't always focused cause I was in pain and you know, just stuff like that. So I was just not purposefully rude, but I just always in a bad mood.
0: Pretty sure you had some good reason for it, man.
1: And yeah, I don't like, I don't like to say it was a good reason because, you know, but my, my friends understood, my mom understood. And it's not like it was that bad. It was just things like, for example, one time the nurse came in, gave me a Rice Krispie bar. He said, hey, are you okay? And I don't know why, I forget why, but I took the Rice Krispie bar, I looked at it, and I like Rice Krispies, but I just threw it across the room. I was like, what am I going to do with that? I just got shot. <laughs> and it's, it's, I, I wish I could find that nurse again because I remember his face. And I don't. I'm good with faces, but his face, I remember particularly because he was really nice to me. So I plan on going back to Philly one day and going in the hospital and, and seeing if who was there from six years ago. Sure. Man. But, um, so I, you know, yeah, I was in the hospital for a total of two weeks and I got home and uh, that was when the recovery started beginning. I was, I, they expected me to be there for months and I was only in there for two weeks. So, you know, whether that's God or you know the universe, or whatever, but I healed very quickly. Yeah, um, Cause I'd never been sick before this. I was very healthy before this and healthy now for the most part, but you know, I recovered very quickly. Um, so, uh, I don't know if you have any questions before I.
0: Yeah. Well, on. I mean, I just imagine that, you know, the, the recovery was, <clears throat> was both physical and I would imagine emotional at the same time, both for you, yeah. remembering what happened, thinking about the future. Um, just I, for a, a ton of reasons that I can think of and I'm sure a bunch that I can't and you could tell us about. But and also your family, you know, like there must have been some, you know, some upset in the family. And I'm just really curious about what all that was like.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so um uh obviously my girlfriend was at the time she was extremely angry because funny thing was she had told me a lot of times like be careful where you go, be careful. Cause you don't end up, you know, attacked or whatever because you know delivery piece of delivery is a can be a dangerous job sure so you know when that happened she was just not i told you so but she was just like you know these cops uh, you know how people say sometimes fuck cops and all that i'm not of that opinion but uh some cops do deserve that kind of vitriol but you know so that's that's the type of time she was on the whole time mom obviously was upset but she just she was more focused on me being okay than spreading around the news if this happened today or a year ago two years ago we probably went more public with it but like i said we didn't see it that way yet until we started seeing it in the news. So at the time we just wanted to just, you know, obviously it was a, became a court thing we sued, but besides that, we just wanted to focus on my recovery. My sisters were, they were, I think, 16 or 15 and 14. So, you know, they understood what happened obviously, but they didn't know the gravity of it. Not, not that did we, yeah. So uh, for the most part, it was just, you know, happy he's at the hospital. At the time, obviously they were scared I would die, but once I was out there, happy I was out, I was okay. And that's more so, that was the focus. Yeah. So um, in my friends, I remember a lot of friends from high school because I graduated three years ago, three years before that. So a lot of them uh, posted, you know, why would this happen to Phil? He's he's I wasn't quiet in high school, but I wasn't like, like I said, like I wasn't loud. I had a lot of friends, but I wasn't I was I was I'm a really laid back person, so I don't really talk too much. And if I do it's because I'm talking about basketball or I'm just like excited with friends. Other than that, I'm really laid back and I don't really go out like that too much. So that happening was just like a shock to a lot of people that knew me because you would think, which isn't a good assumption, but you would think for that to happen to somebody, you'd have to either be in the street or doing something, or for cops to just shoot you out of nowhere. Something. Um, like I said, this was before we started seeing it regularly. So to all of us, it's just like, what the hell? But um, for me, like you said, it was, it was a physical and mental recovery. I would say more mental than physical, because like I said, I healed it pretty nicely. Um, I was walking fine. Uh, the only physical part of it was when I got hit in the front of my skull, I, it, it hit it made impact in my skull. There, if you see my x-ray, there's like a giant kind of Harry Potter kind of scar or crack in my skull, yeah. but it left brain fragments through this crack into my brain, and so that caused me to be epileptic, and so I had, I've had five seizures since uh, May 2015, a year after that. Uh, The first one I was at my mom's house, they were watching Real Housewives or whatever it was. And I was just sitting on my phone and mom was doing my sister's sister's hair. Just like that. And it's almost like falling asleep. Next thing I knew, I woke up in the ambulance and I'm just like looking around like, what's going on? And they tell me, you just had a seizure. And so my mom describes it. She was saying she was just sitting there doing my sister's hair. And she just looked at me because I was making noises. And she thought I was asleep, but she looked at me and I was just shaking and my tongue was sticking out. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of rigid. And she had no idea what was going on, but she called the, obviously called the, called the ambulance. And, um, you know, I found out in the hospital during after that seizure that, you know, I had brain fragments or bullet fragments in my brain. Uh, and that's why there's kind of nothing I can do about it besides take get medicine for it. And so uh, the first seizure I got on some medicine is called Keppra. I had a second one a year later while I was driving this time. Uh, but luckily, I was on the highway or anything crazy. I just kind of hit the curb and my girlfriend was me at the time. So she kind of took control of the car because she knew what it was. Because you know she had not seen it, but she had heard from you know what had happened in my mom's house. So uh, that was the second one. The third one was you know the day before Trump got elected. I don't know why, but it just happened to be when that happened. That was with my daughter's mother because uh, that was my first girlfriend. I just told you about. This is we broke up. We're still friends, but different girlfriend. You know she we were in front of the, watching the election or watching the results or the coverage, and I'm getting ready to vote the next day. I had seizure the night before. So none of us went to go vote. Uh, and uh, so I've had five. The last one was April, 2018. So it, it'll be three years in April because before it was happening every six, seven, eight months. So now I've gotten kind of a, because every time I had one, they would have the dosage of the medicine. Mm-hmm. So I think now I'm at the right dosage to where I, you know, as long as I take it in the morning and at six o'clock, so I'm covered the entire day, I'm, you know, good for the most part. So um, So when my daughter was born, I was scared to hold her because, you know, Obviously you don't want to have a seizure while you're holding the baby. And so the last seizure I had, you know, I don't know you can see it right here. I know the audience can't see it, but daughter and my, my mom her her mom were sitting right there. Yeah, I was yep. at the top of the steps right there. And I was talking to them. I forget about what, but I was just talking on top of the steps. And then again, next thing I know, a I wicked ambulance. This time I fell down the steps. And so I had a slight cut on my cheek. But again, thank God, because that could have been way worse. I could have, you know, I don't know, but I could have probably broke my neck or Really broke something or whatever, but I just had a small cut on my cheek. So, um, again, that was the last one, three years in April. So, hopefully, that's behind me now. But um, yeah, to get back to the point, that was the most physical part of the recovery as far as dealing with that. But like I said, the mental part was the hard part because <clears throat> um, just trying to think about why that would happen, uh, you know, just dealing with my face or what I thought was so bad that other people said it wasn't that bad, even before the surgery it wasn't that bad and now people say even new people I meet they tell me that they didn't know definitely would have guessed that I got shot but didn't even know that my eyes are different until I brought it up or until I tell them the story so you know but this is still something I'm not struggling with because I've accepted it but it's just like you know you're used to your own face and we're our own harsh critics so yeah even the slight change to us can look to to yourself can look really bad because I look in the mirror every day and you know it's not in the mirror that it looks bad, but when I take pictures or when I am in certain certain angles, it just looks so bad to me. So I'm just like you know still learning to just like get over it, even though I am, but I'm still like sometimes I find myself wishing that I could just go back to my old face and I say old face, but this is my face before, but it's just a slight little change, but you know it's not that bad, uh, so I try not to complain about it, because it could have been way worse than it, than it was. Um, yeah, so it's still,
0: it's still horrendous, you know, that you, you know, this many years later and into the future, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have that to look at, you know, and to be with.
1: And so, you know, but obviously like, and another reason why I know it's not that bad, why it's not that bad is because I haven't had any trouble. I'm not a lazy man or anything, but you know, I've had, I think two girlfriends since then, because my relationships tend to be long. Neither of them thought anything of it. Like. Girls at work or girls that I've run into, I don't always tell them the story. I've never heard any girl say, your eye looks funny, or anybody say, your eye looks funny. Uh So, you know, it's really nothing to worry about. It's just my own personal personal thing. You can call me a, uh, what did my friend call me? He called me a a pretty boy because I was so, you know, obsessed with it or whatever. But, you know, I don't like to complain about it too much. Besides that though, and besides the seizures, um, it was, like I said, it was more so just the mental aspect of dealing with it of thinking that I probably should have died. You know, why am I even still here? What's my purpose? Why did I survive? And I could say my daughter's my purpose, and she is. But sometimes I think, sorry, I have a rabbit that I got for a birthday, he's kind of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just looking at him crazy. But um, I think about besides her, like, what's really, like, why did I really survive? And so uh, dealing with that. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me, did I go to therapy? And that's part of the reason why I share the story. I don't want to advocate for therapy like, I, like I'm like i passionate about therapy, but, you know, a lot of people, and not just in the black community, but everybody, a lot of people think that therapy is useless or that it doesn't work or whatever. And I was kind of in that mindset, not that it was useless, because I know people can use it. But for me personally, I thought that if I can just help to my mom or my family or friends that know what happened, then that's good enough for me. Because I felt like, and I did go to the therapist at first, my mom kind of forced it on me, not forced it, but she kind of pushed it. I was like, okay, I'll go. But when I went the first two times, I just felt like the person was, I don't want to say too robotic, but I just felt like, you know, you're just getting paid to listen to me. Anybody can do that. Mm. And it was just like, you know, it wasn't that they were white because, you know, my coach was white that I had this past summer. And she was able to not relate, but like, you know, understand. So it wasn't that they were white, but that was part of my thinking, like, you know, they don't really understand. They don't, not that they don't care, but it's just like, I don't need this. And so I, that's one of the things I regret is because I didn't, it, it, I ended up going to therapy in 2018 or 2019, two years yeah. ago and really took it seriously. Had I done that way back, six years ago, five years ago, six years ago, I, certain things that happened in relationships or certain mood issues, like me getting irritated or me thinking about it or me letting it take over my mind and me thinking all these crazy things, like I should have died, I shouldn't have, yep. survive. Or why did I get this money from it? Because, you know, do I deserve this? You know, I start beating myself up because I'm just like, well, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of people in life in my situation could have done so many things in my position. And I'm just sitting here recovering, you know, just things like that. Just beat myself up. Had I gone to therapy, I could have gotten rid of all those crazy thoughts much sooner. But, you know, seasons and reasons, you know, things happen for a reason. But, sure, man. you know, I say I have to say, like, you know, a lot of people think that therapy is whatever but i would sit there and say even if you don't think you need it like in my case nine times out of ten it was surprise if you get the right person because that was the small part of it it wasn't the right people the first two times that's why it made me think that it wasn't right for me but i this time i when i went two years ago i looked for somebody specific that was you know a black person that was not into the whole police brutality thing but had a familiarity with it yeah and so when i went to therapy i ended up saying things that not that I didn't know, but I didn't really think about that much and I ended up spilling it out. Like, for example, to this day, I'm still scared that, you know, when I get older, not even when I get older, maybe it's going to happen when I'm 40. And I try not to speak it into existence, but I think that, like, for example, when I'm 45, not even that old, what if, like, the bullet fragments in my brain? God forbid it doesn't kill me somehow, because they don't say that it will, but I think, like, what if I get dementia? Or like What if I get some type of, yeah. some, what if something's happening in my brain right now that's not going to show up years from now? You know, exactly. things things like that. And I really just let that go in therapy and really explained for the first time, really, why I kept thinking about the accident and why I was still so. Not that I needed a reason, but why I was still so upset about it or why I was still so scared. And uh, speaking of scared, the first year after it happened. Even to this day, but it's way better now. But the first year or two, I could not literally could not sit in the car at night because that was the position that I was shot in. I couldn't sit in the car, whether it was drivers or passenger seat, couldn't sit in the car at night because I was always literally would have my hair turned like this. Just always looking around. I couldn't be on my phone. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. So I was just not couldn't do it. And um, being out at night, it took about a couple months. But, you know, being out at night was terrifying to me. Um, And and sometimes I would think like crazy stuff like, you know, what if they come find me and finish a job or some crazy stuff like that? Just having all these crazy—that's one of the things I talked about in therapy. And my my therapist was just like, not that he thought it was crazy, but it was just like, no, nah, just relax. It's not like that. But th- stuff like that was a, a big part of the mental battle that I had to overcome. And I don't make it seem like it's the worst thing ever because people are going to be worse. But you know, for my story, that that was what I went through.
0: And um, man, that's pretty. It's pretty bad, man. You know, <laughs> like you. you I, I I'll even circle back to the thing that you said earlier about being, being scared to hold your baby when you had, your daughter, you know, because yeah. of the seizures, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's stuff that no person should have to deal with in their life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you, that you did seek out the therapy when you did. And I'm, mm-hmm. I really appreciate your willingness to share that here too, because I I feel mm-hmm. like it's so relatable to a lot of people, you know, we, yeah. you know, look at, probably most of the audience has never been shot before. Right. But that you know, there's other things that are going on, like addiction yeah. issues, stuff at home, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever. And, and people, people are questioned therapy. There's the stigma around mental health. There's, is this really going to help me? You know, how do I find the right person? It costs money, you know, all mm-hmm. this stuff, time. So I really appreciate your willingness to share that part and, and say how beneficial it was for you.
1: Yeah. And, and obviously, besides the money issue, because not everybody can afford it because they are expensive sometimes. But if it's not a money issue or a time issue at time, that's kind of like if you if something is important enough, you'll make the time no matter what it is. So I would say if it's not a money issue, I would advise and I don't want to say if it's serious enough because different things are serious, to different people in different ways. So, you know, me getting shot, that's something serious, but it doesn't have to be that serious. It could be whether it's you know depression or being upset about something or being worried about something, if it's worth the money to you and you have it, I would say do it because you will be So I was surprised by just how a conversation with someone that's trained professionally to guide you through these things, obviously. Cause that's why my family and friends didn't do it for me because they're just just family and friends. They know me personally, but therapists are trained professionally to kind of just poke certain holes or, or not holes, but like, you know, just hit certain areas to get you to, talk more and delve into things that you didn't even really delve deep into yourself on my own. So that's the best way I can explain it. But like I said, it really did wonders for me mentally. Like I really can't really explain how much it did for me. Yeah. But um, obviously you gotta be willing to do it. So yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I share my story. Um, the second reason why I share it is because of the, another stigma that I've mentioned earlier, because I kind of had this assumption, but not totally. That you know, for you to be shot by police, and we've seen video recordings by now in the past six years, video recordings, most of them are are recorded or a lot of them are. And even if they are, like for example, George Floyd, they say he had fencing on the system or whatever, Jacob Blake was running away from them and all that stuff. Even when they're let's say doing something, nobody deserves to get shot or killed that way. But yeah. I share my story because to say you don't really have to be doing anything to be in that position you just have to be i don't want to say the right skin tone like it doesn't happen to white people too i've seen <clears throat> one or two that where the victim was white i think one happened two months ago in december where i don't know if he was white or latino i just only saw the picture but i, I didn't really look too deep into it but it's not just black people so i don't want to say it's a black problem but obviously just to black people so you know you don't have to be doing anything or being, the bad, or being in a bad position is really just a matter of wrong place, wrong time. For me it was, but a lot of times racial profiling, a lot of times, like for example, Fernando Castillo, you know, the guy that was sitting in his car, or his, his, his girlfriend was driving, he had his daughter in the back seat, and he was telling the cop that he had a gun in the car, a licensed gun, cop asked him to pull him out and he was doing it and he still got shot, just based off of fear. That's one egregious example, but I share my story because like people think that you have to be in the wrong somehow, like cops can't make an error in judgment or be trigger happy or be too drunk of power, whatever it is, you know. Like I just told you my story, I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. To this day, I still don't have a record. I don't have a, I don't have anything to my name. Like that's why the case went so it was it was long, but that's why I went so fast because they had nothing on me, no drugs in my car, no drugs in my system, nothing. So you know, I challenge somebody to who knows me personally, but you know, nobody really does. Nobody who knows me personally can say, oh, this is what you're doing because they know me. So those who don't, you know, look my story up and tell me what I was doing wrong. Besides, you know, and this is segues into my next thing. You know, what did I do wrong? I'm in the hospital and my friends, a lot of my friends told me they saw it on the news. They saw it on Instagram, Facebook. And I deleted my Instagram before my friends came because I was just like, I'm tired of these messages. Didn't delete Facebook, but I suspended it or made it inactive somehow. I wish I didn't delete Instagram because I regret that to this day because I made another one in July. I had a lot of pictures on my last one, uh, you know, but um, my friends would tell me that they saw, saw my face on the news. And I think Meek Mill had posted me on his, on his Twitter because he was from Philly. So uh, when I heard that, I started Googling my name to see, you know, what was said or what. So I saw that they had pulled a picture up on Facebook and they were using it. Luckily, it was a good picture. I didn't mind it. But one article I saw said that, you know, the cops that actually shot me, they said that they that I was trying to run them over. And they said that they had told me to stop. They screamed at me to stop before I started moving the car. And then I ignored them and just tried to run them over. Now, Man, you know, crazy. before I even explain why that's false, I'm pretty sure you or the listeners can even surmise that's false because I just I already told you what they were wearing. They weren't in uniform. Right. Um, a witness that actually saw the whole thing unfold, two of them came from paint sip class. They saw the whole thing unfold. They gave their testimony um, to my lawyer later on. Uh, they did not have badges on, I didn't know this, but they didn't have badges on when they approached me, but they had them out after when backup came, when I was on my way to the hospital, they had it out afterwards. And they tried to give their statement to the cops that were there, but they got shooed away. Um, And so when I saw that, you know, I was just like, that was my first indication that it wasn't really an honest mistake. Or if it was, they weren't treating it as an honest mistake. And this is me just trying to be fair, because I don't know the people, those cops, to this day, I don't know them. I, don't, I know their names. I could say their names now, but I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I don't know them, but just in the interest of fairness, you know, if it was an honest mistake, you know, I never got an apology, never got a call, never got an email, nothing. Man. Not only that, I'll tell you what I got in a minute, mm-hmm. but besides the No Shit like when they pulled me out the car, that was another thing that told me, like, they didn't really, you know, but I saw that article that said that I was trying to run them over, which was just like, no, I was trying to get out of there because you guys were about to shoot me or at least put a gun to me for no reason. Um, Because to, to my knowledge, I have no reason to have a gun pulled on me by a police officer. So that was one and two. The third thing was, <clears throat> besides me not getting a call or apology, which I wasn't waiting for or looking for, but in hindsight, I realized I never got that. When I started telling the podcast, these stories, or telling these podcasts, my story, I realized in hindsight that I never really, because they would ask me, did they ever apologize? And I'm like, no, they didn't. But yeah. when I tell you this next story, I'll tell you why I never really expected one. Uh, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you know what a deposition is. Yep, sure. Uh, but for those who don't know, it's when you basically, long story short, you go and give your official statement for the record of what happened your side of the story whatever. So uh, my deposition, I had to do it twice, not do the whole thing twice, but when it was first scheduled, um, I got to downtown. I'll try to do this quick because I know we're running out of time. I went downtown and I walked into the lobby of the office, my lawyer's office. And I saw those two people were just standing by the elevator. they standing at the wall. And no idea who they were, but I just walked past them and, you know, just sat they sat there next to the receptionist and waited for, you know, my lawyer to come. Came in about five minutes later. She didn't take long, but she rushed over to me in a way where I'm just like, you know, and she asked me, are you okay? And I was like, why? And she was like, because I just want to make sure you're okay. Cause you're here. I'm like, who's here? She was like them. And with the way she said, the way she looked at me and said them, I realized she was talking about the cops that did it. Yeah. So I looked over and it was the two cops that did it. And I could tell who the cops were and who the lawyer were. Cause the lawyer had the suitcase and the, and the suit, they were had suits too, but the lawyer just looked like a lawyer. Right. And they were young. They were young, you know, because one of them, I think was in the, they were both in their twenties. I think more than thirties, but they were young. So I'm tell it was them too. So I'm just staring, and I kind of got this mix of of emotion, just really anger, I guess, emotion and anger, and just not really sadness. I was just upset. And they were already looking at me because they knew who I was, obviously. But I had no idea who they were. So when I look, I see them looking at me, and they didn't look away right away, but they just looked away. And so I stared at them the entire time. And I told, when I tell this story, people don't believe me when I say that I was staring at both of them. One of them looked back at me while they were going in the elevator to go upstairs. And I'm staring at him because I'm just so angry. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I'm just angry. So I'm just getting the death stare. And he stares back at me <clears throat> like he has a problem with me. And so by this time, he goes to the elevator in front of me, kind of diagonally, but mostly in front. And I'm just staring at him and he's staring back at me as the elevator doors closed, kind of like a movie almost. And that made me even angry because I'm just like, why are you staring at me like I shot you? Like you shot me. I don't know which if he was the one that did the face or the leg, I don't know which one it was, but either way, it's just like, why are you staring at me? But anyway, they were there because they wanted to be present during my deposition. And my lawyer thought that was ridiculous because why would you want to be in the room while he's telling the story? Yeah. Unless you're gonna apologize or you know, try to understand. But she thought, and I after she said this, I felt that too. She thought that they were trying to intimidate me. And so when she told me that, I got so fired up. I was like, okay, bet, let's go. They think they're going to intimidate me. Wow. I'm going to go and do it. Not only am I going to do it in front of them, I'm going to stare at them the entire time I do it. How about that? This is me just speaking. Out, I am speaking out because I was going to do it. I was angry enough to do it. My lawyer said, you know what? That's not a good idea because you, you don't want to give them a reason to, any type of reason to make any kind of argument that you're a bad person or whatever, even though that's small. And you have a right to be angry, but let's not even do that. So we rescheduled it, but then they were there for the second time because we found out that there was no legal precedent to keep them from being present. Because you're allowed to be present during the, during the opposing party's deposition. <clears throat> so I did the deposition in front of them, didn't look at them, but I tell their story because when the case finally ended, and my lawyer came to me and she she called me and she said, "Hey, they wanna um, they wanna settle. They don't wanna go to court." And obviously they don't because you're not going to win that because you have nothing against me and no good reason. And on top of that, Philly, the 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 law, and I don't know if it was just Philly, but mostly a lot of states, you're not allowed to fire at a moving vehicle because you can easily shoot somebody else. Wow. So my car was moving when they shot me, obviously. So that on top of the fact that I was just an innocent person delivering pizza, there was no case to be had on their side. So my lawyer said, you know, obviously they want to settle. Um, and I said, that's fine because I really don't want to keep this dragging on because I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of doing these depositions and these office meetings and all this crazy stuff. Like, I just want to live my life and move on. Yeah. Man. And so she told me, um, you know, they want to settle. I told her I'm going to do that. But what I want on top of that is I want to. Meet them in person, sit them down or sit down with them and not on some kumbaya stuff like, hey, let's be friends or, you know, I want to ask you, ask them, why would you do that? Like, what's your problem? Why did you shoot me in the face or why did you shoot? They shot at me 14 times, by the way. And I only got hit twice, they shot at me 14. So that's that's intent to kill That's crazy. And I could have easily been somebody walking out their house to go to the store or whatever. Cause they saw me go off the porch and go into my car. So I could have been anybody. And like I said, I'm five, five, nowhere near as tall as the person you were looking for. So I wanted to ask them all these questions. Like, why did that happen? Like, what's, what's up? And my lawyer told me, you know what? That's probably not a good idea because and this is when, this is the third reason I knew that they weren't really apologetic about what they did. I didn't see them because obviously I wasn't looking at them because they were to my left at the end of the table, at this long table there at the end of it. My lawyer said that, you know, when I was doing my deposition, that she saw them in the corner kind of giggling and drawing and doodling and kind of just like snickering and not really taking the whole thing seriously. I don't know what to make of that, but what I do make of it is they didn't really care about what they had done or, weren't apologetic about it, to sit there and laugh while I'm telling the story. I mean, what does that tell you, you know? Yeah, that's, um, uh, I'm not gonna tell you what it tells you, you you, you know, you decide for yourself. No, no. But you know that, I was just like, I still wanted to do it. My lawyer talked me out of it. She said, you know what? You should just take your money and move on because you're not gonna get the closure you think you're gonna get. And it wasn't about an apology. I didn't think I was gonna get that even before I heard that, but I'm just like, I don't know why, I, I don't regret it, but I kind of wish I had pushed more for that meeting because I'm, I still think about that to this day. It doesn't torture me, the thought but it's just like I really wish I had really gotten to know not gotten to know them but like really saw their faces talked to them seen what kind of people they were but you know yeah I mean I still have the name so I guess I could look them up someday but I'm probably not going to do that but um so yeah that 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 was that was you know and obviously by then I had seen it in the news you know multiple examples of you know people getting shot when Mike Brown happened you know and I think I was I forget what state that was, but, you know, he was shot in the street and they left his body in the street for hours. That case in particular, Eric Garner happened before that, but Mike Brown was what got me really. I was obsessed with that case. I would Google his name every day for like two to three weeks Uh. just to see new pictures or new developments on what happened or why it happened. Because, you know, he walked out the store and he had some type of altercation with his friend and the next thing he shot from a distance. And so that obviously I related to it. It resonated with me. And then I saw Tamir Rice, Philando Castillo, John Carr. It was just like a string. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, that's weird that you know, this happened to me. And now it was like just happening. It's like a thing now. And unfortunately, I don't like to admit it, but I let it, like, I kept seeing it for six years. And I don't want to say, well, yeah, I, I'm kind of ashamed now that I didn't really speak out about it or go public with it sooner because sometimes I think, like, you know, what if. Not to say I could have saved everybody's life. I doubt it, but even just one, if I would have went public, you know, this guy got shot by police and he survived and he wasn't doing anything. If that sort of would have gotten out, because, you know, with Eric Garner, like I said earlier, Eric Garner was selling cigarettes, not an excuse, but, or not a justification, but he was selling cigarettes. George Floyd had fentanyl in the system. Jacob Blake ran from them, which is kind of more, you know, but Walter White had a machete. There's always something that they say, you know, he was doing something. Uh But, you know, in my case, or Fernando Castillo's case, or Charles Kinsey, where he was sitting on the highway, sitting down with his nurse next to him, and still got shot. But the white nurse somehow didn't get shot. Not that I'm the only example of somebody not doing anything to deserve that or anything to to really bring that on themselves. I just feel like if I'd went public with that, <clears throat> I feel like it would have changed something. At least one person that you saw in the news would have maybe not died or wouldn't have got shot. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just thinking yeah. like. I'm thinking this last year when, you know, Corona happened and then George Floyd happened and Breonna Taylor kind of within the same two months. And so I'm in the house and I'm just thinking like, and I, for the first time I had to really, I had the time to really think about everything. And I went to therapy already. And so I'm thinking like, you know, maybe I should just start talking about it because it's time to stop being quiet about it. Because it's not, obviously it's relevant more than it's ever been, especially with George Floyd because uh, I'm seeing this in the news, like every day they're protesting and all this stuff. And so that's when I, I, I ended up getting a coach that was more so for like just getting myself out this because when that when Corona happened, I was in the house all day, every day. Yeah, I went to therapy, but therapy is going to do so much. For me, I was just like, I let myself kind of sink back into that hole where I was just thinking about why it happened. And I told you this earlier, this is after therapy, not before, because I didn't talk about this in therapy. But I was thinking, like, you know, I'm wasting this opportunity as far as the money I got and the time I have. Cause, you know, money is time and time is money. And if you had both, an abundance of both, then the sky's the limit. And I didn't really do anything right away with that for six years or for three years, cause I didn't get the money for three years. But I was thinking, beat myself up, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not shit. Like, I'm not doing anything. And a lot of people would have been able to open businesses or help a lot of people or do something. And I haven't done anything but have a daughter. Not that that's nothing, but, you know, as far as just, again, not something meaningful, because that's meaningful too, but just something really that I can just say, this is what I did with the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I could have had a baby
1: at any time. So I just really beat myself up about that. And so I got a coach to kind of just bring myself out of that rut. And I made my Instagram and she kind of helped me with the idea of just sharing a story. And she kind of showed me how to find podcasts. That's so a Kristen Bloom, because for those who are curious about who it is, she's very really good. Um, she kind of helped me, you know, find podcasts and encouraged me to share my story, which is what I was thinking already, but she really encouraged me to just share it. Cause you know, you never know who you're gonna impact or who you're gonna help by just yeah. sharing the story. You know, I don't know, I don't have the answers to how to change the whole police brutality thing, which is a lot of times I get into that on this podcast when I when they are running like an hour and a half, two hours, we get into that, like, you know, what's the answer to police brutality? How do you change it? I'm like, I don't know to this, I, I know what the issue is, but it's such a big issue. Like police brutality is just a symptom of the way bigger issue. And I don't know what to do or how to change it, but you know, all I know my part or all I know how to do is just share the story. And I don't know if you ever heard the story of, you know, the boy and the starfish real quick before, I, I don't want to ramble too long, but quick story. You know, there's a, boy the, there's a boy on the beach and the beach is littered with starfish. I think I told you this story when we spoke. Yeah, but for your, for your listeners.
0: You can tell it real quick.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a boy on the, on the beach with the starfish. And I tell this on every podcast, the boy is throwing the starfish one by one on the beach. They got washed up on the beach and he's throwing them back in the ocean one by one. And an old man walks up to him and he says, what are you doing? And the boy says, I'm saving the starfish. And the man says, well, you can't save all these starfish cause there's a billion of them and you're only one person. And the boy responds by, you know, throwing one starfish after another in front of the man. And each time he goes, when he says, you know, well, I just saved one and there's another and there's another. And the point of that story is, it doesn't really matter. Like you can't target, or you can't aim to help a billion people at once, as long as you're helping one person at a time, and that's really all that matters. So I tell people all this all the time. If even one person right now was listening to this or the past podcast, and was impacted by it positively in some way, whether it's somebody that looks like me or a white person that might think, oh, these, these victims aren't really victims, they must have been doing something. That's new, like I said earlier, that's why I share my story. Like if I impact one person that's 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 a good thing, because that's really all I know how to do right now um is to just share my story, share how relevant it is, and like I said, show people that you know this happens to people who again not that anybody deserves it, but people who really haven't done anything or haven't even been in the position yeah. to be arrested or approached by cops get done so, get approached anyway,
0: yeah. And so you oh, know No man I, dude I I notice I noticed I have, like I you're right I have so many so many questions over here to ask you about all of this and you, we could we, we could probably go what? in Yeah I mean we we could probably go on for an hour and a half or 2 hours and I, I need mm-hmm. to wrap it up here for for the sake of this particular show but maybe I could have you on again man because you know your story is riveting you're you're super inspirational um and you're right this is such a timely message and there's so many nuggets in here that people really need to to get and so I appreciate you being willing to share about how you know, the feeling of all of this and how it impacted your life and your family and, you know, getting therapy, being willing to hire a coach to support you around all this. And Mm -hmm. now for going to, you know, share the story and in in service of making a difference. Right. So I don't, um, I hope you're not putting it on yourself too much for not sharing earlier in uh, you know a few years ago and I, I really get that though I get I get beating yourself up for it but but I really acknowledge you for being willing to do it now you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a story that's going to really make a difference I hope you get on a ton of other podcasts and I definitely want to have you back on man and get into some more of the specifics about all this
1: yeah because like yeah we only had an hour but like usually sometimes the podcast go over an hour because I'm talking about police brutality, systemic racism, the history of racism. Yeah, man. I go into all that and it's all relevant to my story because, you know, I don't want to call the cops racist, but I mean, you know, you guys, you have your, everybody has their opinion, but it's all just one big problem. And so, you know, yeah. definitely would like to come back and talk about the rest of it. Cause yeah. I don't think I even told you every detail of it, but there's there's a lot to it, so definitely would like to come back and
0: yeah, well, I'd, man, I'd I'd appreciate it very much, man, and and yeah, thanks for thanks for being here, thanks for being a person out in the world using your voice to make that difference, and we'll have you on here again so we can talk more.
1: Yeah, definitely appreciate that. I look forward to it. Thanks again for having me. Bye-bye.
0: Yeah, man, my pleasure. All right, Phil Holland, everybody, thanks again for joining us today on the. Tragedy to Triumph podcast. We're signing off for now, and we'll see you next week. It's our hope that this story makes a difference for another person. If it helps one person, we believe we've done our work. Consider telling a friend about this podcast. You might just make a difference for them, too. Accomplishment Coaching, the world's finest coaches training program. I owe much of the man I am today to the work I've done and the relationships I've built in this community. For anybody out there who wants to start a career as a coach or enhance their skills as a coach, look no further. Transform your life and set yourself up to win in your coaching business at the same time. Find out more at accomplishmentcoaching.com.